Good morning. I think everyone knows me. A lot of familiar faces. I'm, my name is Jacob Hantla, one of the elders at, at Grace. And uh, I've had the privilege for years now to, to teach Proverbs 4.23. Um, this is the key, the core verse of Wellspring, right? It it's, it's, has the word Wellspring that this ministry gets its name from. And uh, coming back to the heart of Wellspring, guarding your heart, is, is not something you can do too much. I, I know this passage well. I know this message well. And I, I can assure you that I need, I need it every time I teach it. So even if you've heard this before, I, I encourage you not to zone out or say, oh, I know this, or, hey, that, that's, that verse is simple, and, and be thinking about other things. We're, there truly is nothing more important than guarding your heart. That's why Solomon says, above all else, do this. Um, right, that's the, the heart of Wellspring. You, you know that the, the Wellspring disciplines, let's review those for a second. What is discipline one, right? Discipline one, the, the foundation, the one you must not skip is, is the heart. Let's read it. It says, the faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. Right? This is something that that's the foundation. It's the first discipline. You can't hope to do discipline two or discipline three well, or even at all, if discipline one isn't foundational to your life. Um, and, and I want to focus on one word there. It says, the faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully. I'm so glad that that word is there. And how often are you... Do you sit down and say, I need to get my heart before the word of God? And you open it and you read something and you read, it might be something new. It might be something you've read a hundred times. And you get up and go about your day and you've forgotten to worship. I, I encourage you that that would never happen. Don't ever let that happen. Worship is an integral part of your heart before God's word. You can think of your heart as you think of discipline one. I, I got this. I, John MacArthur once said, and I think he just said it in passing. I, I don't even remember, but it impacted me so much. He said, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Think of that. As you shepherd your heart, as you put your heart before the word of God, the blazing sun of, of, of truth. This is the word. God's words, when he said... Let light, let light shine out of darkness. What happened? Light. He, through words, he created the universe that's so unimaginably big, our minds can't comprehend it. Right? God is so powerful that just his very words created something so immense that we can't comprehend it. And those same words when he said, Right? The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he's shown into our hearts to bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Those same words that brought everything into existence changed your heart to make you love Jesus. And those same words we put our heart before every day. But think of, think of who else put themselves, themselves before God's word every day, maybe more so than anybody throughout history, the Pharisees, right? They had huge sections of scripture memorized to, to even the, the very level of punctuation and words. They had this known. They put their themselves before God's word, but what did they fail to do? Worship. They put themselves before God's word and, and built a system of rules and regulations and missed the God of the word. Right, Jesus says to the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you'll find eternal life. And that is the source of eternal life. But he said, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Right, they put themselves in front of God's word every day like we encourage you to do, like you should be doing. Don't skip a day. And, and I pray that by the end of this, you are committed 
to not missing time in the word. But it's not enough to put yourself before God's word. You have to put yourself before God's word worshipfully to get the God of the word. So with those handy dandy notebooks that that they gave you, maybe on page one, say, what does this teach me about God? Don't get up from your time in the word without saying, I have learned something about God. It might be the same thing that you learned a hundred times already. Right? When you come to First Kings in your reading plan, you might be like, it seems like the same thing I read yesterday and the same lesson I learned the day before and the same lesson I learned the day before that. That's okay. Write that down. Say, what did I learn about God? God is patient. God is gracious. And worship him for that. Right, don't just merely say, I, I need to learn something cool or I need some devotional. Right, the, something devotional. The word of God, from page one to the end, it reveals God. And as you see God revealed, worship him. Okay, don't resolve to not get up out of your chair in the morning until you've been able to identify something that you read that day that reveals God. Put it in a sentence. Write it. There's something that, something about writing or typing, saying, I can express this that connects what you've learned to your heart. And then worship him for it. Okay? And it's only when you've done that, when you've set that trajectory of interacting with God's word, that you're going to do well with discipline too. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. Think of of just the day-to-day. That's really nice, but the day-to-day, what do you do in your home? You're going to have kids who complain, husbands who frustrate you, roommates who annoy you. You might be tempted to say like Peter did, right? When he, Matthew 18, when he goes, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me the same way? How many times do you have to forgive your kids? They've done the same dumb thing seven times already this day. And you're just done. (laughs) When you're there, what did you miss? Peter's looking for like, tell me what to do. And Jesus says, you missed the point. Right? The point isn't think of how much your brother sinned against you. But the point is realize how much God has forgiven you. And he tells you the parable of the unforgiving servant. What does that reveal? It reveals God. We owe God 10,000 lifetimes of debt. And he's forgiven us completely. That reveals God is gracious. And that servant, if he had remembered in that moment, Peter, if he had been remembering in that moment, just how much God had forgiven him. If he would have remembered his standing before God, if that servant would have remembered that, he never would have said, pay me what you owe to the other servant. Do you see how, how under, knowing who God is translated into your home will give you the patience to bear with your husband, to bear with your kids? A heart well shepherded to God will help you care for your home. What about when you go out into the workplace or out into the ministry, when you serve in Wellspring Kids or in a small group um, with, with the other women? With a heart fixed on God, discipline three, and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church in every part of life to shepherd others towards God and the gospel. You won't do that well if you haven't done that well to your own heart. Right, so, so it's obvious that we need to start at the foundation of the heart. Charles Bridges says it well in his commentary on Proverbs, and this is at the top of your first page, said, if the citadel be taken, the whole town must surrender. If the heart be seized, the whole man, the affections, desires, motives, pursuits, all will be yielded up. Do you see that whatever's going on in your heart, the core you, it's going to affect everything else. If you let your heart go, If you compromise at the heart level, everything will be yielded up in your life. 
Because as we'll see, everything in your life flows from that wellspring in your heart. He goes, the heart of man, the citadel of man, the seat of his dearest treasure. It is fearful to think of its many watchful and subtle assailants. Let it be closely garrisoned. Solomon said it more succinctly, more clearly, and that's where we're going to go. In Proverbs 4.23, he said, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Let's pray, and we'll jump into Proverbs 4.23. God, I, I beg you that as we have your word open in front of us, as I seek to expose the truth of your word, I beg that you would guard and guide my words. More than anything, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your word and cause us to worship you. And God, I, I pray that you would grant us understanding by your spirit. And spirit, grant my heart and the heart of my hearers a submissive posture before you as we approach your word. These are your words contained in scripture with the same power, like I said, that brought, when spoken, brought everything into existence. Words more powerful than we can comprehend, and I beg that my words would be faithful to your word. Finally, God, transform us, sanctify us, perhaps even save some, as your word is preached this morning. God, I pray that you would use this message to make me guard my heart more diligently. In Jesus' name, amen. So look down at your paper, look down at your Bible. Proverbs 4.23. I hope you have it memorized. If you don't, you will by the end of this morning. All right, there's a... I want you to look at your at the passage. You're going to see a what, a how, and a why. Right? The what is the command. What's the command? It's keep your heart, or watch over your heart, or guard your heart. Three different ways to say the same thing. It's it's the command that Solomon has for his son. The command that Scripture has for us. We're to watch over our heart. And then there's a how. How are we supposed to do that? Three different ways to say the same, same idea. With all vigilance, above all else, with all diligence. Basically, to the highest degree, with the most importance that, that Solomon can communicate, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Right? That's the how, that we're supposed to do the what. But really, it all starts with the why, and that's why we're going to get there. That's how, where we're going to start today. There's, there's a reason why we're supposed to guard our heart above all else. And that's because it's the wellspring of life. Because from it flow the springs of life. It's the source of our life. Have you ever sinned and thought, where did that come from? Right, according to to the Bible, according to Solomon, everything in your life can be thought of like water flowing from a well. You're like, where'd that water come from? Or have you ever walked by a stream and said, I wonder, I wonder where that started? Well, the nature of that water flowing down a stream will be affected by the source, right? If there's a factory upstream, the stream will be polluted. If it's a fresh mountain spring, the water will be clean and pure. Right? You, you can look at the water to determine the nature of the spring. And you can rest assured that the nature of the spring will affect the nature of the water. And, and our lives are the same. So if you see yourself exploding at your roommate, short temper with your husband, anger at your children, maybe entertaining or acting on sinful fantasies, you're like, where did that come from? Well, it came from your heart. Right? It's not really that hard to understand. That sin, indeed everything you do, good or bad, has flowed from the wellspring of your life, your heart. And Proverbs 4.23 will help us get to the root of these sins. The root of what you do that's good. It'll prepare us 
for the great gospel solution to the heart of the problem and guide us towards walking in purity of life. Right, the inspired Solomon, he gives this profound illustration of our life. All of our life has a common source from which it flows the heart. This is the term the Bible uses to describe the most inner you, the source of all that you do. Think of it this way. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Okay, that's true. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. You can't say, well, the most of my life flowed from my heart, but this that's not really me. You know, that's hormonal imbalance or neurochemicals gone awry. Right? You, you don't, that's not the way our lives work. Everything that we do flowed from our heart. You can put it the other way. There is no part of your life that your heart doesn't affect. Right? You can't compromise, let your heart be tainted or unguarded, and say, but this won't affect my life. I'll be fine. You get, there's no part of the way that you live that your heart that doesn't flow from your heart. The flip side of that, there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. The images of a city's vital water source. Pure water at the source can provide everyone in the city with pure water. But if the source is contaminated, there's no hope for pure water. This is a problem because the Bible describes our heart in some pretty unflattering terms. Our hearts in and of themselves, unchanged, unaffected by God, in their unmixed condition, where we all start. Let's read that. Consider Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful. Above all else. This is on, on page two, if you're following along on the notes. <clears throat> the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? Maybe even more poignantly, think of uh, Genesis 6, 5. Turn there. Look at God's assessment of the human heart with me. Genesis 6, 5. Yahweh, who can clearly see the heart. We can't clearly see our hearts. Yahweh can. Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. That every intention of his heart was only evil continually. The flood did not fix that heart problem, right? That assessment of mankind's heart is just as true today as it was before the flood. There is no part of your life that does not flow from this wellspring, and this wellspring is deceitful, desperately sick, and only evil continually, right? So if you combine Genesis 6-5 and Proverbs 4-23, you see that math problem on your notes. If you hook those together... You're going to see that Proverbs 3, 10 through 12 comes out, quoting Psalm 14, 1 through 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. No one naturally has a good heart. And no one, not even one, does good before God in your natural condition. We are a bunch of wicked people with unrighteous lives because we have wicked hearts. This is the description of unregenerate man living in an unmixed sinful condition. But remember, God does not leave the Christian in this condition. Speaking of the new covenant with Israel, that Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well. God says in Ezekiel 36:26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God promised Israel that he would one day give them a heart transplant. That would be their only hope for cleaning. And that hasn't happened yet for all Israel, but it is what God does to us when he saves us. What vivid imagery, right? 
the Bible isn't talking about our physical heart, but God knew what he was doing. Right? What's the source of our blood? Everything that goes through our, pumps through our, our arteries. The thing that brings life-giving oxygen and nutrients to every organ in your body. It's, it's your heart. And when your heart goes bad, death results. It's, it's amazing to watch. I have the privilege of doing cardiac anesthesia. I'm going to go do that in, in an hour or so. And when you have a patient, when there's somebody whose heart goes bad, the heart naturally is supposed to be very elastic. Blood comes in, it stretches and pumps out vigorously to the, to the rest of the body. And your organs, your brain, everything has life. Lauren's nodding. He, she's seen this. When, you're, when your heart goes bad, when you have somebody who has a, a heart attack, just a little vessel goes down. Something goes wrong in the heart and it begins to harden. It does. Your, your heart becomes like a stone. It doesn't expand. It doesn't contract. It becomes like a stone. And the result is you have somebody who, whose brain goes dim. They don't respond right. You talk to them and it takes them a minute to respond. They get up, their, their lungs aren't functioning. They fill up with blood. Their kidneys aren't functioning. They go on dialysis. Their liver stops working. Death results. And it's amazing to see what happens when you give them a heart transplant. For some people, that is their only hope for new, for life. Right? You take out that old heart that's actually become like stone, literally. And you put in a new heart. And this person becomes new, right? Their brain starts working. Their kidneys aren't shut down anymore. Sometimes they, they were dependent on a machine to do the, the job of their kidneys. Sometimes they were basically in a coma. You give them a new heart, stuff starts coming back. They're, they're filled with life. Christian, you had an old dead heart of stone and God gave you a new heart of flesh. This is what God did to you, even more so, even more dramatically than that illustration, right? Because our hearts were dead. God took your old dead heart and he replaced it with a new heart. John 3, 3, you were born again. You were a new creation. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. At regeneration, God declared us righteous and he changed us from the heart so that we would, for the first time, have the ability, have the desire to obey God and love him from the heart. You see, obedience is no longer something foreign to you. Obedience, love for God, is now who you are as a new creation because God has changed you from the heart. Now with this new heart having been declared righteous in justification... You've been set on a trajectory to increasingly live out that righteousness through sanctification. We used to be slaves to sin. Why? We used to be slaves to sin because our heart was only sinful. We used to be disobedient from the heart. But Romans 6.17 tells us what God has done. Look there. Turn to Romans 6.17. And do right now what I encouraged us to do this morning. At the beginning, worship God when you see him here. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. John Flavel, he was a 17th century Puritan. He's one of my favorite authors. He, he said it well. He said, the heart of man is his worst part before salvation. And it is his best part after it. Praise and thank God for that. Seriously, stop right now and do that. In your heart, praise and thank God for his regenerating work in your heart, Christian. For many, this might seem like old news, a theological truth that you're well acquainted with. Don't let familiarity rob you with an opportunity to worship. Right? The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. 
And this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is of all of the heat that flows from Scripture, from the, the great son of Scripture. This is the most powerful. This is the hottest. The one that must melt your heart the most. The one that you should never move on from. The one that you have to preach to yourself every single day. So you have any hope of preaching it to the lost and the saved in your home and in the world around you. Right? Proverbs 4.23 told us that the heart is the wellspring of our lives. And that would be horrible news if it were not for this great news. The gospel. That when God saves us, he changes us from the very heart. This change is not superficial. Christian, you've been changed from the very core of who you are. You've been changed from the wellspring of your life, your heart. And let everything else that you learn today, everything you resolve to do, sit under the shadow of that massive, massive truth of the gospel. Puritan pastor Richard Baxter, also one of my favorite authors. You're getting a smattering of my, of my favorites. And, and guys, you would be... You would do well to sit your heart in front of. Richard Baxter said to his church, he said, till the spirit has regenerated the soul, all outward religion will be but a dead and pitiful thing. To make up a religion of doing or saying something that's good while the heart is devoid of the spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace is a hypocrite's religion. It's at the bottom of page two. But praise God. Seriously, praise God. He has no interest in, re in religion. But through the gospel, by Jesus' work at the cross, God gives us new hearts. Right? Romans six seventeen. Thanks be to God that you who are on slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't become obedient from the heart, if this sounds foreign to you in your experience... I beg you, repent of your sins. Cling to God and trust him to forgive you for those sins and give you a new heart. Right? We, we can be prone to think that this is a, even if you know better, we can be prone to think this is about my works. This is about my deeds. Right? This is about the way that I live. To, Think of the, the thief on the cross. He had lived an entire life in hatred to God. Everything, even as he was on the cross, one of the accounts says that the thieves were mocking Jesus. He was probably there from the start, mocking Jesus too. And as he saw Jesus die, at the 11th hour, last minutes, his heart was changed. God changed him from the heart. He said, Jesus, remember me. And he was given eternal life. And then you have maybe the best do-gooder, grows up in church, reads her Bible every day, does good deeds, helps the poor, raises good kids. And clings to those things as something to hold up before God and says, I, I think I'll be fine at, at the judgment because look at my life, it's pretty good. But is doing those things in a way that makes much of herself, in a way that hasn't denied herself, in a way that they might say, I need Jesus and these good works are worth something. In a way where you want other people to see in, in yourself to see the outside, right? Look at my life. It looks pretty good, but there's poison flowing through the pipes. You're a whitewashed tomb full of dead man's bones. There's death inside. And you think you can clean that up by doing a few good things, but you're not doing it for God. So you're still in the, the pool of no one does good. No, not one. And you say, but God, look at this good work. This is rubbish. All I see is sin because I don't see my son. And you have the thief who goes to heaven. And you have this do-gooder woman clinging to her own good works, 
who's right, who, who God is right when he sends her to hell for eternity. God's judgment is right. right. We don't bring our own good works and say, look at this, God, this is good. That's religion. And if it flows from an unchanged heart, it's a hypocrite's religion. And what you're doing is you're just masking the sin that is truly there. God doesn't want that. Don't revert back to that, Christian. You don't, right? We don't bring our good works to God. Rather, our good works flow from a heart changed by God. There's no merit in there. Do not smuggle merit into your relationship with God. Have you ever prayed in the morning and, or just come off, come off of a, a moment where you, you just sinned and you're ashamed of it? You want to open up your Bible. You want to pray, but you're like, I can't do that. How can I, how can I even think I, I'm worthy enough to come before God after I just did that? What does that reveal? That you're smuggling merit in your relationship with God. Right? That maybe all of your relationship with God or, or too much of your relationship with God is based on performance. Right? If you're like, if you just sin and think, God, I can't pray to you right now. I've got to do good for a while before I can come back to you. That might reveal that your entire way of relating to God had been based on performance. What might actually be happening is that all of your life is that. Look at your life. Test yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Even if you've been around church for a long time. If you relate to God at all like that, on the basis of, of works, Repent. Right? God doesn't want us to clean up the outside of the pipes while poison water runs through. He called the Pharisees tombs full of dead man's bones, but the outsides are really nice. No, he gives us new life. He raises the bones and he purifies the water. And that's what we're called to here. So imagine a city with a poisoned well. The city could not flourish. In fact, the city would be only full of death. Right? Think of a city. Poison in the well. What would the people look like? And then one day the king provided clean water. A new wellspring. Their old well was full of poison. And the new one for the first time had fresh water. Immediately that city would be full of life. Those who were once made weak, anemic, and dying from the poison had a taste of that which they never knew pure water and they experienced life that they never could have known before those people would know the importance of that wellspring they would know the effects of a tainted well they would know the joys of purity right those people would never think i wonder how much poison i could let back into that well and still be okay right? that thought would never cross their mind Christian, has that thought ever crossed your mind? How much poison can I dabble with? How much compromise is okay? Christian, we are those people with that new well. Our hearts were unmixed in their sinfulness. And at salvation, for the first time, you could glorify God and not sin from the heart. So guard that heart. In light of this illustration, consider the quote from Charles Spurgeon at the top of page three. And look with me as I read. Look for the wellspring disciplines. Discipline one, two, and three. Maybe mark over the top. D1, D2, D3. Grace Bible Church did not invent this. The poison of the soul is only sin. And this is like to poison in many respects. Sin is. Poison, wherever it enters, it stays not there, but it diffuses itself all over the body, and it doesn't cease until it is infected all. Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will, it creeps from one member of the body to another, and from the body to the soul, till it has infected the whole man, and then from man to man, till the whole family, and it stays not there, but runs like a wildfire from family to family, Till it has poisoned a whole town, and so a whole country and a whole kingdom. 
woeful experience proves it's true. The poison of sin will not be content to stay in your own heart. It will destroy you. Then your home. Then your ministry. If you're having a hard time with your husband, don't look to him first. Don't say he's the problem. I guarantee you there's a problem in your heart. Dig that out in in the light and the shadow of the gospel and repent. We're going to see how to do that. You have problems with your kids? Conflict at work? Maybe difficulty in relationships at small group? How do you dig that out? Right? How do we guard our heart? That, that leads to the next. If we know that our heart is this important because it's the wellspring, that leads naturally to the what? To the, the command of Proverbs 4.23. Where he says, keep your heart. Right? I mean, he, you almost are like, well, you don't even need to say all that, Solomon. If you just tell me that the heart is the wellspring of my life, if I think deeply on that, I should figure the rest of the verse out. Guard it above all else. But thankfully, he, he tells us, keep your heart. Right? Sin is the poison. Purity is to be protected. So guard your heart. This is a command. And the image might, that word actually, that the guard watch keep, it's the same Hebrew word that is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe an alert sentry or a guard on a watchtower. Like one might be up on a Judean mountainside overlooking a city's water source, the most precious thing that that city has. A city dependent on a pure water source, they'd place their best sentries on the hills overlooking it. They wouldn't let them take days off. Right, they they would give them the best weapons. Tell them watch, especially if that city was at war. We have a precious, newly pure water source, and we have ever-present threats seeking to poison the well. Right, our flesh within, we're in that mixed condition. Temptation without. We must guard our hearts, but how? Right? How are you supposed to do that? We could come up with some ways, but thankfully God's word didn't just leave us to figure this out on our own. David asked that same question, right? If you're like, man, I, I see that. I, I see that I have conflict with my husband. How am I going to guard my heart from this? I, I see that there's sin flowing out of my life. I, I want to get in the shadow of the cross. I want to get to this heart to guard my wellspring that Jesus made new. David asked that. I suspect Solomon learned this from his dad. I don't think it's a stretch to say that this may have been on his mind as he wrote. Psalm 119, verse 9. Read with me. It's on your page. On It's on, on the middle of your page, on, on page 3. You should memorize this. David asked, how can a young man keep his way pure? That's basically asking, how do we do Proverbs 4.23, right? A purity, a a one-natured heart, not tainted. How how can I keep my way pure? How can I guard this wellspring so that the water is as pure as possible? How can a young man keep his way pure? How would you answer this question? What do you do? Do you you say, I just need to flee temptation. That's good. I need to fill in the blank. Let's see what David says. He says, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. David guarded his heart with God's word. David guarded his heart by seeking God through his word. And as you guard your heart, you will be protecting yourself from evil, right? Saying, I don't want to wander from your commandments. I don't want to sin. You will be careful who and what you let close. You won't say, how much poison can I let in this well and still be okay? 
But we see more importantly and more fundamental to the guarding of your heart, it's not just what you keep out. I think we know the keep stuff out part well. And it is that. Don't play with sin. But even more fundamental, it's what you keep in. Do you see that? His first answer is with my whole heart, I seek you. As we guard the wellspring of our heart, we must be shepherding our hearts to the word of God to get the God of the word. That's why worship has to be fundamental to your time in, your, in the word. Right? Don't look at God's word and come up with a list of to-dos and to-don'ts. You, those are good if they flow from a heart that says, God, I must have you. I must please you. I must glorify you with my life. We're going to spend eternity glimpsing God. We're going to spend eternity staring up on God. 1 John 3 says, it's 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Turn there. Have you ever thought as I say this, you're like, man, I want a pure heart. I just don't feel like this is my, this is who I am yet. I see glimpses of it. And John says that. He goes, beloved, we are God's children now. Right? When he says that, he's not merely speaking of adoption in that we are going to get the inheritance. Yes, we get that. But he's talking about adoption like we get the nature. We get God's, who, God's nature imprinted on us. Right? We, we become like him. We are his children. We are God's children now. But what we will be has not yet appeared. This is another way to say we are living in a mixed condition. Right? What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's speaking of glorification, right? You guys have learned this. Right now we're in a mixed condition. There's going to be a time when we're not, when we're unmixed. What's the means that brings that? It's not magical. It's not, I mean, it is magical. It's a miracle. But it, it happens through a means. And scripture tells us what that is. What's the way that God changes us? Look down. Because we will see him as he is. You get that? Jesus comes back. You see him. And you're changed. You see, that's the same pattern, that glorification thing. That's the same pattern that happens in sanctification. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So we look forward to that one day when we will be changed. And we say, let's hope in him now. And that same means that will change us to glorify, to be glorified is the same means that will change us now to be sanctified. God has changed you and has even made you a ch his child. But this change in nature, though it's drastic, it isn't yet complete. What we will be has not yet appeared. This passage doesn't make us give up hope of purity and hope only for that day. But it gives us the means to, right now, looking forward to that day, be purified today. And that's look on him as he is. Where do we see him most clearly revealed? In scripture. So get your heart before scripture. And I have three questions that I ask myself every day when I open up God's word. I encourage you to have the same three. And the first, I shared it with you earlier, it's the most important. So what does this passage reveal about God? I don't care where in scripture you are. You will be able to come up with an answer to that question. You should be able to come up with an answer to that question. What does this passage reveal about God? And how must it affect me? You will see God most clearly revealed as he is. Whether you're looking in scripture for the glory of God, the wrath of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the names of God. I, I don't care what you're looking for. Just look for God in his word and write that down. 
right? Don't, don't be content to have nebulous thoughts and say, oh, I sort of almost half know what that means. But if you can write a sentence, if you can tell it to your kids, or if you don't have kids, tell it to your husband. If you don't have either of those, tell it to your dog. But say it out loud and say it worshipfully. And then say, how must this affect me? That's a way you can guard your heart. With your whole heart, seek God. Seek to know him. Seek to love him. Seek to glorify him. And as you do that, don't say, how much sin can I let into my life? But you see how those two thoughts, they won't, they can't, they can't exist mutually. God, with my whole heart, I seek you and I'm okay to let some sin in. If you're seeking God with your whole heart, you will with your whole heart flee sin. Put it to death. Don't look to the sin first as a thing to be avoided, but look to God first and most as the one to be desired. That's how you guard your heart. And how must we do this? Again, it, it almost goes without saying, right? If we realize the, the supreme importance of our heart, and we realize that this fight for our heart centers actually around God himself. It goes without saying, but, but it is said, thankfully. Do it above all else, with all diligence, with all vigilance. That means there's nothing else in your life more important. Is there anything in your life that you do with more urgency than you guard your heart? For me, this, this is sobering because I, I lose sight of this so often, right? I wake up and the alarm is annoying and my sleep is precious. And I know if I hit snooze, I'm going to miss my time in the Word because I have to get to work. I hit snooze. I just prioritized something. I, I didn't do this with all vigilance. Right? This would be like the, the sentry on the hillside. It's my, it's my turn. I, I need to come on. I need to watch the water. There's an enemy out there to get it. Oh, but let me sleep just a little bit more. And in the meantime, there's an enemy just waiting for the sentry to fall asleep so we can poison the wellspring. Right? Sometimes, oh, I, I just can't wait for vacation. Because life is so hectic right now. That's why I'm not getting in the Word. You know, that's why, that's why my time in the Word is so short. So superficial, because there's so much going on right now. And then what happens when you go on vacation? <laughs> well, there's, I go to Disneyland. I can't, I gotta get, you know, I gotta get the kids dressed. And then you, you, you go in your, you have all the time in the world. You have nothing to do except for what you want to do. And you miss the word then. And, and, and you see that the problem isn't all these things without. It's the problem is that we forget the supreme importance of our heart and the supreme importance of getting our heart before God and guarding it according to his word. So that's why above all else you must do this. So we don't know, right? Every day the, the importance of that might not reveal itself. You could easily go through a week, a month, a year even. There might not be huge trials to reveal what's going on in your heart. You'll get little glimpses of it, and we'll get there at the homework. It says, watch your water, watch your life for what, what it reveals is coming from your heart. We call that the water purity check. That's what you're going to be doing in your homework. Saying, what in my life reveals how well I'm doing guarding the wellspring? And then that way you're not merely repenting of sin, saying, oh, I need to watch less TV. You're saying, man, my passion for watching TV reveals maybe what's going on in my heart. The way I use my smartphone, the way I relate to my kids, the lack of prayer, my lack of desire for God's word, that's revealing something about the way I've been caring for the heart. So you repent at the heart level. You say, God, I must seek you to replace those affections that have gone wrong. Right? You see how we're shepherding from the heart level. But... You can go a long time without seeing this drastic effect of your heart if you're not looking very closely. But my life, uh, I'm, I'm grateful to God that this was present, that, that I learned this. 
and I haven't learned it perfectly. I'm still so much in process. But I'll, I'll tell you what, the day when you sit before the doctor and they say back in 2010, Jacob, it looks like cancer. Your lungs are filled with it. It's all over your intestines. We need to take pieces of your lung out. And it, it, oh, it's in your bone, it's in your lymph nodes. If this is cancer, you probably have months to live. What do you do with your heart? What, what does your heart do when you get those words? 2000, and thank God it was some weird autoimmune thing. I didn't have cancer, but I basically got the diagnosis. You, you got months. God knows, my, I, I'm so tempted to anxiety. So you pray for me. That is one of the things that, the, the, the sins that is hardest for me is anxiety. But what, what does anxiety miss? What's the, what's the cure for anxiety? If God is truly good and he is truly all-powerful, anxiety should be impossible. Right? Because what's anxiety say? I'm worried because things aren't going the way I want them to. I'm worried that things won't turn out well. But if God loves me and he's good and he is all-powerful, everything that happens is, is according to plan. And I can trust that it's best. So what does Philippians 4, 6, and 7 say? Don't be anxious. Well, that sounds impossible. But instead, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You see, this is still about heart guarding. And God's doing it. We, don't, we aren't ultimately responsible for this. We do it, but you see how what this is? is With thanksgiving, you can't give thanks without recognizing that God's sovereign and good. So the very solution there is put my heart on God, recognize who he is and how he's sovereign, how he's good over this and ask him for things. And the result is my heart will be guarded in Christ Jesus. And I'm so grateful because I saw the power of that. But my heart wants to run to anything just straight to anxiety. Day after day after day, month after month, year after year of knowing that's a sin that I'm struggling with and saying, I need to look in God's word for how sovereign he is. I need to, to know front to back, Genesis to Revelation. God, show me everywhere where you show me how good and trustworthy you are. So that when you get the cancer diagnosis, you can say thank you and ask him for healing. And that peace of God will guard your heart and mind when it seems like it's impossible to guard can worship God because I've seen that not perfectly but I've seen that in my own life and then in David my, my son he get, get the leukemia diagnosis and, and a little bit better our family's reaction is with thanksgiving let our request be made known to God and it's God please and, and look for all the things to say thank you for and, and he did he does and then relapse I just want to testify to, to Matt and Cameron when, when I get the, the text on, uh, on Monday. I, I encouraged them to go get the MRI. He did and wasn't thinking anything of it. And he texts me and says, they say it looks like cancer. And it's all over my brain. And I rush to the ER and I'm sitting there with them. And Cameron's first words out of her mouth were, the MRI results are the best results we could have hoped for. Because we know that if there was anything better, our sovereign God would have given it to us. That's what guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus looks like. You don't know what trial you're fighting for, for tomorrow. Right? It might look like that. It might look like something totally different. But you know something's coming, and you can count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Because in the testing of your faith, you're going to have endurance produced. And you're going to have fruit revealed of what Jesus has done in you. But you need to guard your heart today. Guard your heart tomorrow because you don't know when that trial is coming. And it will come. 
And if God's in you, it will prove the true value of what's there, right? Fight to be the soil, the good soil that produces good fruit. Right? A few of the soils looked good until the thorns were there, until the birds came, until the rocks blocked the sun. You're not guaranteed that you're the good soil. You have to to guard your heart. And that happens to put in your heart before God and his word. And then when your husband has lesions throughout his brain, you too can say, it's the best. And the crazy thing is, guarding your heart yesterday doesn't guarantee guarding your heart tomorrow. Right? Yesterday's obedience doesn't guarantee today's. Yesterday's purity, it sure helps with today's. It sure helps with tomorrow. But this is an above all else, no days off thing. There is nothing more important than guarding your heart. And as you think about the importance of guarding your heart, Think of the one who wrote these words. This is sobering. Turn to 1 Kings 11. We're almost done. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. As you do that, consider preemptively planning your defenses. Right? What, What sins do you know that you are prone to? And what in scripture can help guard your heart from those? Everybody's probably different, but you know your best. If you don't know them, or even if you think you do, talk to those closest to you. So what sins, when things get hard, what sins do you see come out of me? What does that reveal about my heart? And how can, can you help me put those to death? Well, God knew what sins Israel's kings would be most prone to. And he actually gave them commands back in Deuteronomy. He says, like, don't get a whole lot of wives for yourself. Don't gather a lot of riches for yourself. I I want someday to to teach this to you guys. Maybe in retreat or maybe another lesson. But it's amazing when you look back at the commands to the kings in Deuteronomy and then you see what they did. God anticipated their needs. He says, don't get a lot of horses for yourself. And don't get them from Egypt. Solomon got a whole lot of horses from himself and he imported them from Egypt. Don't get a whole lot of riches. Don't gather riches. Silver was like nothing in Solomon's day. He says, don't get a whole lot of wives. Got a whole lot of wives because they'll turn your heart away. And they did. He says, get a copy of God's word. Write it. Know it. Turn to 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. This is the, the summary of Solomon's life. You might want to read on your own chapters 1 through 9, or maybe 1 through 11, and watch the progression. He started out so well, and there's little compromises stuck in life. He, let, he was okay to let a little bit of sin in, because things looked so good. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. God knew what temptation the kings would face. He warned them. And Solomon was like, well, how many Hittite women can I let back in my life and still be okay? Or, I'm sure I can do fine because God said I'm the wisest man who ever lived. Look at how things are going. I'm getting blessed. And they did. They turned his heart away. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. David sought his God with his whole heart. Solomon, through a series of heart-poisoning compromises, had his heart turned away. And Solomon was the one 
who in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote these words. Right? Being committed to heart guarding isn't the same as doing it. Being able to explain heart guarding isn't the same as doing it. This is sobering for me. Teaching about heart guarding isn't the same as doing it. I'm not guaranteed that this is happening in my life. It must happen. Being excited right now about, I can't wait for tomorrow to get in God's word because I want to do this. It doesn't guarantee you will. Look for the sins, the compromises that you've been okay with and repent. Confess those things and repent. Where are you not pursuing God? Where are you content to open up God's word and and not pursue him? Where are you not seeking God with your whole heart? How can you do that better and pursue it? What in your home reveals an area of potential improvement? And that's what these water purity check questions are. You see, there's a temptation to repent on a surface level here, right? To say, oh, I'm not reading my Bible. I need to read it more. And that's, that's true and that's right. But go deeper. Go to the why. And so it's going over time, so I won't have time to go over all of these. But I encourage you to read these and look for what they reveal about your heart. And resolve not to just clean up the outside, like do better, but say, where they reveal something about my heart, I have to pursue God more diligently and flee sin more wholeheartedly. Come up with at least three other questions for yourself on your note sheet. And that's part of your homework too, is to come up with, is to do your water purity check. Make these, make your water purity check as unflattering as possible. Right? If God's written you like a blank check, like he said, which he has, I'm going to forgive any sin. Right? I died. I know all your sins already. And I'm going to take every single one of them and place them on my son. I'm going to give you righteousness. If somebody came to you and said, hey, what debts do you have? Because I'm going to pay them. The last thing that you would do would be like, I want to make myself financially look like I got all my stuff together. And I'm not going to tell them about that that credit card I got that I'm sort of embarrassed about. Right? You're not going to, you're going to say, oh, okay, let me bring you everything and let me go back through all my records and find if there's anything I forgot about. You're going to go digging for debt. You're going to be looking. Right? Christians, why, why do we say, oh, I need to clean up my outside. I don't want them to see that sin. Right? No, no, you're like, God, here's another one too. Thank you for the forgiveness and cleanse me from it. Do that. When you're confessing sin in small group, when you're confessing sin to God, when you're looking at these heart purity questions, don't do core questions like, oh, I need to make sure they think I'm doing all right. I'll let them see a little bit so they know I'm not lying. But go, Christian, when you're a Christian, you, you by definition are saying, I'm the worst sinner that I know. I'm dependent on God's grace. There's nothing good in and of myself. I'm not bringing anything good to the table. So stop acting like it. And core questions just say, man, I thought, remember the sin I confessed last week? It's actually worse than I thought. Let me tell you the depth of what, of, of what I did, of what I'm doing. Can you get girls help me walk in repentance? Show me God here. How how can I guard my heart better? Um, Do that in water purity check. Find the most embarrassing sins. (laughs) You don't have to tell the whole world about it. But tell God about it. Tell the, the women who are walking most closely with you about it. If you don't have that woman, find her today. Okay? Um, Just remember, don't clean the pipes while poison runs through. Don't be content to let dead bones sit in a whitewashed tomb. I'm going to finish with this quote by Paul David Tripp at the bottom of page four. It says, If my heart is the source of my sin problem, 
then lasting change must always travel through the pathway of my heart. It is not enough to alter my behavior or to change my circumstances. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. And if the heart doesn't change, the person's words and behavior may change temporarily because of an external pressure or incentive, like the pain of discipline. But when the pressure or incentive is removed, the changes will disappear because they're not from the heart. So resolve to guard your heart above all else because it's the wellspring of your life. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Let's pray. God, this heart guarding is an impossible task. If it weren't for you changing it, it would be like walking into a cemetery and telling a a dead man with a dead heart to do better, to live. But you've, you've done the miracle. You've saved us from the heart. The amazing thing is that we're sanctified through the same means. We don't, just like we couldn't do salvation. It wasn't about us doing anything. We don't do sanctification. It says in Proverbs 4, 7, you guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we pursue you. So God, I I pray that as we do heart guarding, it would be in a way where you get the glory because you are doing it by your spirit. This would be impossible if it were not for you at work in our lives. So I pray that you would be, that the result of this morning would be resolutions to change that there would be much repentance, much seeking you, that we would do things differently, but it would be in a way where you get the glory because we recognize that it's all from you, for you, through you. And God, this makes us long for that day when we will see you as you are, and in a twinkling of an eye, we will be like you because we'll see you as you are. God, I pray for the small group time, uh, the Wellspring group time, that it would be sweet, um, that it would be efficient, that the women would care for each other well, showing one another honor, speaking when it's right to speak and listening when it's right to listen, that your spirit would be active in those groups to reinforce the, the message that people have been learning from your word. You would draw hearts close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.